This week's episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast goes out to Morgan Williams. If this were a video podcast, we'd all be standing around like pirate captains. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic book fans. In this issue, it is wrong to tip the cup of knowledge, Ed Gruberman. Bullet to the head. Yeah, yeah. Plus, will the man of steel have the face of the common man? And Thor, you think you're Thor. You should try fitting in my chair. Plus, the princess of Mars has arrived and she's butt naked. Woo. And in response to Rodrigo last week, after all, you're my walking dead. I said, maybe the podcast is on the air, baby. Whoa! Ow, that hurt my head. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another fun-filled issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad that you are with us this week. It's a big, busy week, I tell you what. Yeah. On the site, if we you head over to majorspoilers.com. a microphone. <laughs> if you head over to the majorspoilers.com website this week, you're going to just see it flooded with nothing. Well, I shouldn't say nothing, <laughs> but you're going to see it filled with nothing but San Diego Comic-Con news. And there is a lot of Comic-Con stuff going on. And some of that shows up in our news segment for this week. This week we have, what do we got, 10 topics this week, and I'm only going to list off three. Uh, this week, our news items, we have the teaser trailer for The Goon, Warlord of Mars announced, The Thunder Agents Return, and Green Lantern Gets a Costume. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny and see which one of those four it lands on this week. Landing right there on number two, the Warlord of Mars announced. Now, Dynamite yep. Entertainment announced this week that uh, they're going to be adapting... The Princess of Mars saga, but they're going to be calling it the Warlord of Mars, which is somewhat problematic, I think, in, in the naming it, because the third book in the John Carter series is called Warlord of Mars. And that's in the... That's in the uh, Edgar, uh, Rice, or Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote something like five, eight, something books, and of other authors... And they're written. all about John Carter. They're all about John Carter going to yeah. Mars and having adventures. And, and what are they called collectively? Uh, they are called the Princess of Mars Saga, I guess, okay. because the first book is called The Princess of Mars. It features this character, John Carter, not mm. to be confused with Michael Carter, not con- and the story... has or Jimmy Carter. Not to be confused right. with Billy Beer. Um, but... It has very similar, if, if people are not familiar with the John Carter stories, it's about as close to Adam Strange as you can get mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that. Without him being a superhero. Without him being a superhero and actually going to the, the planet of what, Zan? Is that where he goes Ran. to? Ran. So John Carter <laughs> is a Civil War soldier. Winds up in a cave. Gases overtake him. He winds up on Mars naked. No clothing. And he has that, these incredible adventures. Means, yes. ad- adventures. No, none of the people wear clothes. Mm-hmm. There he meets these green-skinned Martians with four arms, Tars Tarkas, and of course the mm-hmm. beautiful uh, Princess uh, Deja Torres, which uh, <laughs> in the... Uh, <laughs> think she's any relation to Penelope Torres? I don't know, a- but uh, in the book and in the covers of... Uh, what's that uh, guy that did all those fantasy book covers? Boris Vallejo? Yes. Man, she's drawn very smoking hot in that. Of course, mm-hmm. in those, they're always wearing clothes. And I think in this in this book, 
um, they're going to be mostly wearing clothes, yeah. Rodrigo. But there were, I, I forget, five or eight books in the series that Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote. There are times when it appears that John Carter died on Mars, but he wakes back up on Earth. Then he goes back to Mars, and it's mm-hmm. some back and forth. So there's some back and forth uh, stuff going on. Uh, but in this uh, announcement from Dynamite Entertainment, they're calling this Warlord of Mars, but it's actually an enhanced version of the Princess of Mars story. And mm. nobody's really picked up to say, well, what do you mean by an enhanced version of the Princess of Mars story? And why are you calling it Warlord of Mars if it's, you know, John Carter and the Princess of Mars or whatever, right. you know, that it's called? So this is this is an enhancement to the very first story. This is an story. enhancement to the very first story, which I think is going to, th- honestly, I think it's going to throw off a lot of people. Because so it's Warlord- kind of like a prequel kind of thing? No, it's, I, I, I actually contacted Dynamite and said, what's, you know, fill me in on this, because there's a lot of confusion between which book you're adapting, what story you're adapting, because you say you're adapting Princess of Mars, but it's Warlord of Mars, what's going on? And you say that it's an enhanced version. So what it's going to be is the first, I think it's the first two issues are going to kind of be a prequel to Princess of Mars, who John Carter is, things that are going on on Mars, and then when you hit issue Mars. three... That's when you go into the official adaptation of Princess of Mars. I think you're overthinking it. No, no, this is what they told me. The first two is going to be this expanded, never before told story of John Carter. Mm-hmm. That's then, not the part I think you're overthinking. Then issues three through eight, apparently it's only going to be eight issues, uh, will be the Princess of Mars adaptation, which is fine. I have no problem with that. I think, and I didn't ask why they decided to call it Warlord of Mars, but it's probably why. The movie that uh, the Pixar people are trying to put together, or at least um, uh, Stanton, Andy Stanton is trying to put together for Pixar, mm-hmm. is they're not calling it a Princess of Mars. They're calling it John Carter of Mars because no guy in his right mind is going to pick up a comic book that says Princess on the cover. Really? Have I you think- seen that cover, though? I know. That's a pretty, yeah, hot, uh, that's a pretty hot princess drawn by... Kind of uh, makes you just want to bite, too, guys, and stick your face guys, between them and go... I know. Guys used to uh, pick up a book called The Dark Child. Yes, yes, for the very same reason, but it wasn't John, drawn by J. Scott Campbell. So I believe it was pronounced Dark Childy. That is... Yes, with the E on the end. And so that's this cool story about Warlord of Mars. It's getting an adaptation. Princesses Mars is getting an adaptation, which I think is very cool. It's mm. a great story. Rodrigo, have you ever read the Edgar Rice Burroughs story? I haven't. I've seen a lot of kind of takes on it, and I know that I have seen um, comics about it, and I don't know if they were official or not, because I know I've seen Four-Handed Martians. I know right. I've heard the name Tars Tarkas before. Right, right. Um, did they ever have a cartoon, and was Tarzan involved? Because well, for some reason, that like Tarzan and Mars... Was yeah. that ever a thing? That was a book. Uh-huh. And I don't know if it ties... I have never read it. Matthew, you may have, but I believe it somehow ties into the John Carter story. Because mm-hmm. um, I always... I remember that for some reason. That's, yeah, yeah. that's the only well, there, push there I had to it. There are a couple of things that I remember that might... Now, I know that there was Philip Jose Farmer's... Uh, uh, Wald, no, the Wald Newton stories yeah. that tied mm-hmm. all those characters together. But mm-hmm. I, what my Rodrigo might possibly refer, be referring to, and this is something that I wanted to say that you were overthinking... There have been several comic adaptations all called John Carter, Warlord of Mars. Right. Dell Comics ran it back in the day. Marvel had a run. And at one point, DC was running a Tarzan comic book that had John Carter backup stories Mm. in the Mm. 70s. Um, And it would have been about the time, I think it was like Joe Orlando and Joe Kubert may have been doing it like 1970, whatever. 
But that's where I first ran into John Carter in the Warlord of Mars book from Marvel in like 1980. Well, but was that was that an adaptation of Princess of Mars? I don't know what it was. Adventures of John Carter. Well, you guys, man, you guys really the the Princess of Mars story is really really good. And there's two Mm -hmm. ways that I suggest you do it. Rodrigo, if you like, I've got it in hardback over here that you may borrow. Or, is she naked in it? No. Well, they describe it that she's naked, that everybody's running around. In fact, there's a very funny moment when John Carter is walking around Mars, and because of the size of Mars is smaller than Earth, he has these superhuman powers, able to jump mm-hmm. and lift and do all these incredible feats. He actually stumbles upon the four armed Martians, which I forget what their names are at the moment. But he's actually embarrassed because he's like, oh, my God, I'm naked, you know, in front of these people. And it's it's very it's it's a great book. It's a great adventure. Mm. And uh, when you start getting into the other books in that series, they are also I think they're all excellent. But both of you need to read Princess of Mars. That is that is an awesome book to read. Um, mm. You know, the maybe more interesting in a conversation point, Matthew, if you've not been exposed to um, John Carter or the Princess of Mars. Most of uh, Mars has been exposed to John, John Carter. <laughs> uh, what and you guys, John Carter showed up naked, so he's been exposed to most of Mars. What What's really interesting is the fact that Dynamite is picking up yet another character from the Golden Age and turning it into comic books. Now, John Carter really goes back, I think, 1902 or something when he first... That well precedes the Golden Age. Yeah. That's into the, the Platinum Age of comics, or perhaps the glow-in-the-dark... Victorian age. The uranium age. The Victorian age is what they refer to that far back. Okay, so he first appeared in 1917 is when he first appeared. Um, But it is one of the very first kind of sci-fi books of true Mm -hmm. sci-fi science fiction that we know. But Dynamite is doing that. They've done Buck Rogers. They're doing Green Hornet. They're doing, who else have they done recently, Matthew, that's a big, The Phantom, they're picking that up. Green Um, Hornet. Green Hornet, uh, you know, they're really doing some interesting things with these Golden Age characters. And and don't forget even the um, the Alex Ross Project Superpower stuff, Green mm-hmm. Llama and all those now, guys. Those are, in fact, Golden Age characters. Yeah, I just, I think... All the other ones you're mentioning aren't. Princess, uh, uh, the uh, John Carter, actually, I think it's the first five books are now in public domain, which may make it a little bit easier I, I for, think that's part of the yeah. part of the reason why we're seeing this this big resurgence. Any any thoughts on this news from either of you, since you're not familiar with the source material? Hey, you know, if you put put cool pictures on stuff, I'm more likely <laughs> to read it, so and I'm all for all it. All I will say is giant white apes and four-armed green aliens that stand seven feet tall fighting it out. If you throw a naked girl in there, I'm in. And a naked girl I'm who in. rides a six, six-legged beast. Awesome. And it is good. And the six-legged <laughs> beast, beast acts like a dog. Awesome. Essentially, it's a Is pet. that the one in the cover, do you think? Uh, it is, but in the book, it's described a little bit differently. But yeah, mm-hmm. the J. Scott Campbell cover that we're featuring up on the website is really good. And it's funny that, again, this is I've been, I was on the Robert E. Howard uh, mailing list, the email list that mm-hmm. they send out. And people are just like, I don't care the fact that they've got that porn star look on for Deja Taurus. And it's like, are you kidding me? Have you read the book where she's running around naked and she's described in great detail as being oh so fine mm-hmm. and people just going nutso over that. But even the uh, Boris uh, uh, the covers stuff. Yeah, were very titillating back in the day uh, and still are, I think, <laughs> for, to a point. So... I am excited about that. I cannot wait to get uh, 
to get my hands on those first couple of issues, especially with the stuff that's quote unquote never before told story of John Clark Carter. Mm-hmm. I will say it's the first time ever that a J. Scott Campbell alternate cover was wearing more clothes than the original. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we get out of the news section really quick, another one that uh, that we should point out is DC announcing the Thunder Agents returning, I think, in November. Yatata. This is really kind of coincidental, I guess. It's really kind of weird because for, what, two months ago, Matthew wrote a whole series of hero histories about the Thunder Agents, and nobody knew what they were then. Mm-hmm. They sure as heck are going to know who they are now. Yes, there's no possible way that Matthew, who works in a comic store, had any idea with advanced solicitations what uh, might be coming these, down the pipe. These didn't actually appear as an advanced solicitation until... Uh, D- DC has been working on a Thunder Agent book since 2006. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they'll always say that. They've also been working on a great way to uh, bring back the icon characters into the DC universe, but uh, we'll see how that how well that worked. Icon. So, Matthew, you what's the uh, what's the, <laughs> what's the good news about the Thunder Agents? You see this splash page of these guys mm-hmm. uh, that's there on the site. What do you think about this this look? I think it's fascinating that no man has not changed at all. The, the if you look at it, it looks like all three of the other characters. Uh, Menthor is the guy in the helmet, he's and the Lightmaker. Yes, the Freshmaker. Uh, actually, he's German, so it's Der Freshmacher. <laughs> but um, Lightning and uh, Dynamo are obviously new young characters drawn by Frank Quitely, which makes them very creepy. Yeah. But Menthor is exactly the way he was created by Reed Crandall forty-five years ago. Menthor so is that's the kind of guy with you the mean cape. No man. Or no man, no man yeah. forgive me. He's the one with the yes. cape, right? Yeah. Yes, no man is the one in the orange and the blue. Okay. Um, Menthor has the helmet. He's wearing a suit and a helmet. Dynamo's in the front with the, uh, the Thunderbolt cool on his chest. Yeah. Right. Dynamo's Thunderbolt makes him invulnerable. Lightning's suit makes gives him superhuman speed, but it knocks time off of his life. Uh, Menthor's helmet gives him all the standard powers of a comic book psychic person. Mm-hmm. But it has negative side. I think everybody who wears it dies horribly or something. Oh, such that's happen. not good. Well, and then No Man is a human mind in a robot body, and the robot has not changed a bit, which I think is awesome. Cool. Well, there the are men- four other agents that aren't shown on this page who better show up because Matthew will be writing stern letters. Well, I don't remember. Uh, somehow there's going to be a 20 page main feature story and then a 10 page backup or co feature, is what DC likes to call it which I don't right. remember if those are going to be other characters from from that area or not, from the Thunder Agents. I've heard that they, the co-feature may star uh, Dylan Scott and Justin Bieber and um, <laughs> the, the girl who won American Idol. <laughs> yeah, All right, everybody. If you are wanting to know what we are talking about here, if you want to see this awesome Warlord of Mars cover, or if you want to see the agents, the Thunder Agents, in their full glorious color, you can check the show notes because I've got a link right here in the show notes. Or you can head over to the Majorspoilers.com website and check it out there. And also, don't forget, all this week we will be having our San Diego Comic-Con coverage. We've been already doing it with all the buildup to the show, all these schedules and announcements and exclusives. We've been posting those up on the show. But as we go through the week, you will also see other uh, stories appearing on the on the site. So do check those out. And if you are at the uh, San Diego Comic-Con, our very own Victoria will be there. She'll be working with uh, Gentle Giant. Uh, doing some modeling in her Princess Leia slave uh, costume. She's also going to be working with, what is it, Three Muses 
Costumes or something. I forget what the exact name of their company is. She'll be dressed up as Sexy Girl Robin, and then she'll also be doing some photo shoot opportunities with the uh, 501st throughout the week there as Mm -hmm. well. So go over there, take a picture, tell her you heard about it on Major Spoilers. Oh, also, ooh, I don't know if I should say anything right now, but about what I'm planning. Uh Uh-oh. But I will say this. If you have a webcam, a good quality microphone, and you like to have your opinions viewed and heard and seen by millions of others, I want you to record your thoughts on the following. Chris Nolan is rebooting the Superman movie franchise, and early talks on the street as he's going after an unknown to play the Man of Steel. Do you agree that someone audiences have never heard of should make you believe that a man can fly, or is there someone else who should be cast in the role of Superman? I want you to record that. 640 by 480 is the largest, uh, really, that's the best aspect ratio for you to send it to us. QuickTime or Windows Media format only, actually AVI, but Windows Media will work. And your file size should be less than 3 megabytes. What I want you to do is make your argument in one minute or less. Send your submission to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And it's a little experiment. We will see uh, what plays out in the very near future. So head on over to Major Spoilers for all of that stuff. And we thank you for being a part of the show. Rodrigo. Hello. Tell us about this, uh, why we spent a little bit of time talking about Morgan Williams and, and why we like uh, the fine rum provided <laughs> by them. Oh, um, yeah, Morgan donated to, to the show. Um, so what you can do is you can go to Majorspoilers.com and on the top right you will see a little, um, frog little face. banner. Above yes, Above the frog says, face. That says make a donation. So you click on that, you donate money to us, and if you donate enough money... $10 or more. $10 or more. Then um, you get a shout-out on the podcast, and it's nice, and we sit there for three (laughs) hours before the show... um, (laughs) Mocking you. Yes, basically just (laughs) making fun of you relentlessly, and... Trying anything, to find a way to make yes. it palatable to the general anything, public. Anything that falls between the lines of completely absurd and actual... Uh, borderline racism? And borderline racism, um, yeah. that's what Offensive. we end up going with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we really, really appreciate it. I mean, can you believe we've been doing this for over a year now, and we have now consistently for the last, gee, I would say four or five months... Mm-hmm consistently had people donating each and every week and we are behind we're just now getting to the people from may who donated so i appreciate everyone who's done that it does keep the lights on a little bit longer here at major spoilers hq it does allow us to do some very cool things more money that rolls in the more things that we can do and you know what i've got something else in the works (gasps) that might recognize you even more for your activities and achievements for being a part of the Major Spoilers experience. Hey, we recognize you. Hey, I know you. You gave us money that one time. That one time. No. Hey, hey I'm at the Pope, and I'm coming <laughs> to say, hey, you gave us some money. Now I hit you in the knees until you give us some more. Chris wrote us an email this week. He says, first off, I know you hear it all the time. We do. But I love both <coughs> your podcasts as well as the website. Catching you can up never on your, hear that too much, Chris. Uh, okay. Catching up on your two podcasts has taken me away from all others for a while now. Yay! I have a comic-related question that yourself or Matthew may be able to help with. Apparently, he's leaving Rodrigo out of this equation, but Rodrigo, I'm sure, has That's an fine. I'm going to go take a nap. Oh, okay. When I started dating my wife in 1999, I had to give up on comics. Well, okay. First of all, that's a big problem right there, but we'll get to that in just a moment. Finally, a little over a year ago, I convinced her to let me get two titles a month of which was my old favorite Uncanny X-Men. I was shocked to see a favorite character, Colossus, alive and Scott dating Emma Frost. 
What point in comic book did this shift to this strange reality happen? I've been trying to figure out where to start reading to catch up. Any help would be appreciated. Thank you, Chris. Okay, so Rodrigo Matthew, Uncanny X-Men, what yes. should he do to catch up? Didn't well, just Wheaton? Start. Wasn't, wasn't uh, Astonishing X-Men the, where Colossus came back? Colo- yeah, Colossus died in <clears throat> like 96 of the Legacy Virus. The first 12 issues of Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men arc, and, you know, four years later, spoilers, <clears throat> do lead to the return of Piotr Rasputin. And the Deadly Kitty Pride. Kitty, Kitty damn you. <laughs> Kitty Pride does not die. Oh, I'm sorry. She all. phased out of existence. Yes. Essentially, what I can tell you what happened, but, you know. That's all right. Let, let, suffice to say, it has to do with a cure for the mutant gene, and where did they find it out, and oi, 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 oi. And eventually, there was a thing and a face and a foin liven. Now, as far as Emma and Scott, you have to look to... Uh, Grant Morrison's run on mm-hmm. New X-Men, which mm-hmm. was pretty much the same time, 96 or 97. Is that the same that's, reviewed? that's one yeah. we did, yeah. Yeah, what Morrison did was he took everything and he turned it on his head. And ironically, it's funny that you bring up Colossus. The reason that Emma Frost is in the book is because Colossus wasn't available. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grant wanted to bring back Colossus as part of his team. He was told he couldn't. So he picked Emma Frost and in- invented the nature of the quote-unquote secondary mutation giving her her diamond form so that the team would have uh, basically a juggernaut on the team without having the juggernaut on the team. (laughs) And during that run, uh, Scott Summers and Emma Frost started having a psychic affair. Uh, At the time, he was married to Jean Grey, and then Jean died. Spoiler alert! What? At the end of that run, Jean croaked it. She cacked out. She bought the big one. She rung down the curtain and joined the bleeding choir in Visibule. Is that because she turned into the phoenix again? (laughs) <laughs> vis-a-vis the metabolic processes she's had his lot <laughs> but nonetheless uh gene croaked and uh after that emma and scott are now a couple sort of the the lead couple the leading lady and uh geeky skinny boyfriend of the x-men if you will anything else so, to add? um, um yeah, i got it you think you got it i i would say this hey just get on board with this x-men number one this whole vampire thing because, quite frankly, I think it's a good jumping on point. And no, if, I can, if I can mm-hmm. un- understand it, then probably you can understand it. And just, meh, just go with the flow. That's what I say. Yeah, you say that because you've been reading Batman since 1994. Now, here's a problem, though. When I started dating my wife in 1999, I had to give up on comics. Now, the question becomes, did your wife make you give up comics? Or... You were spending all your money on her that you had to give up comics, mm-hmm. or you found playing with boobies better than reading comic books. Mm-hmm. I want to know why <coughs> you had to give up on comics and why well, you had to beg your wife to let you read two comics a month. Mm-hmm. If it's a financial Steve. thing, I can understand that. I mean, I, I really understand that. <laughs> not not everybody has your high-paying job in the education oh, No, industry. no, no. Hey, if, it's a, if it is a financial <laughs> thing, I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. But... I, I don't know. I just I get a weird vibe from this when he says I I had to I get I I had to give up on comics. I'm hoping that it doesn't mean your wife gave you an ultimatum. You know what? Said, you know what I think would be awesome um, if he was like reading comics and his his girlfriend at the time who would eventually become his wife like picks them up and is like, 
well, haven't you read this story a hundred times before? And he was like, oh my God, I have to give up on comics now. It's all the same crap. No more superhero comics for me. This is a pseudonym, Chris. Yeah. It's not an actual Wade. I I thought it was funny. uh, Scott uh, Johnson over at My Extra Life had a great retort to that where the the person is like, oh, these superhero comics are all the same. And then all of a sudden the Batarang comes around, slices him in the back of the head. Nice. You hear Batman off panel. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I, I don't know if there's someone pressuring you to stop something you love that that would be a concern for me. That would that's the only thing I'll say on that. And for those of you, Matthew knows my my complete backstory. He's been privy to all the uh, other. He'll stuff. write a hero history about it. Eventually. Yes, I'm sure he will. <laughs> uh, but let's just say that uh, this wife right now has no problem with comic books. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why she is the wife that I'm married to right now. You know, I've been married for 15 years, and once she actually tried to get into comics because she thought they were, you know, something that I was interested in, but she has never asked me to give up comics. Occasionally, she's ordered me to move them out of her way. Oh, yeah. that's I don't have a problem. But when someone says, you need to stop reading those comic books and grow up, or you need to stop reading those comic books because they're a worthless waste of time. Or you need, or to, you need stop to stop dressing up like a bat and going out <laughs> at night and trying to beat up criminals. <laughs> hey, go back into the uh, Atlanta Journal world from about 10 years ago. Oh, nice, nice. Now you know the rest of the story. That's right. All right, so that is from Chris. Thank you, everybody, for uh, writing in, for contributing, for doing everything that you do for the Major Spoilers experience. And now, let us get to dun, some... Dun, 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 Oh, man, that's a really bad one right there. There's some weird cross-harmonics going on with that. Uh. Your mother's a cross-harmonic. Matthew, why don't you kick us off this week with Astro City Silver Agent number one. All right, I will. First of all, let me say that I am a huge, avowed Astro City fanboy from a day one. Ah, I and see for where those, this is those of you, Yes, this is awesome. Those of you who remember the original... Uh, Way, way back, I believe it was in the first five issues of Astro City in the miniseries, the first appearance of the Silver Agent, and they showed a statue that said, To Our Eternal Shame. Right. Mm -hmm. And 15 years later, in uh, Astro City the Dark Age, we have finally seen what happened to the Silver Agent. Mm -hmm. This is the story of what happens between the issues of the Dark Age. For those of you who haven't been reading Astro City the Dark Age... The Silver Agent kept appearing throughout it, but he was going backward in time. Yes. So we saw him in the 70s, and then we saw him later in his timeline, or earlier in his personal timeline, later down the road. I'm a Legion fan, so it will have not have been the futuristy time. But this is the story of, A, who he is, how he came to be, and what actually happened to him when he went into the future. And right off the bat, I love the detail that Busick and Anderson throw in this book because he has, he's not just the silver agent. Mm-hmm. His whole origin, his backstory, his secret identity is pure silver age. Oh, cool. He's, he couldn't make it as a cop because he had polio in one leg. So he became a mailman. And after he got his super secret superpowers, he still pretended to be a lame mailman and then would go off to fight crime. Nice. There's also a wonderful bit where they're fighting something called the Eye God that wants to sync everything and join the list so that you can be harmonized and downloaded to the various subscribers of the Eye God. It cracked me up. I thought nice. it was funny, especially given the way Steven is reading Hi, comics. I'm Steven, and I have an iPad. 
I'm touching it right now. Ah, it's so smooth and shiny. Not with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> Let me okay, tell you about then. this docking port. Uh, we get <laughs> whoa, hey and we, <laughs> we get this wonderful origin of the Silver Agent. We get his backstory, and then we see him after he jumped into the future. In 1973, the Silver Agent was put on trial for a murder he didn't commit and disappeared as he was going to be executed. And was taken into the future by a group called the Silver Centurions, who look up to him, and he founded them. And now he's fighty, fighty, fighting. This issue ends with the Silver Agent realizing he has to go back in time mm-hmm. and fulfill his destiny. So he goes to the head of the Silver Centurions, who look remarkably in this this image, kind of like the Guardians of the Universe. Mm. That's how Jordan used to interact with them. They're yeah. standing on this. He's in the middle of a room, and they're up on a dais looking down on him. And in at the last part of this issue, he leaps into a time portal and goes back in time towards the final battle. But the last part of the issue is something told me that beyond it all, there was something more. Tell so I'm a giant fan. Tell me about the art. Oh, dear God, it's awesome. Brent Anderson's art on Astro City is one of the great joys of comic books. It's, I mean, it's... I don't know how to describe it because it's not a photorealistic style like an Alex Ross or Jay Anna Clado, but it has realism to it. The scenes in the thirties look like I expect scenes in the thirties to have actually looked like. Mm -hmm. And when the silver agent goes into action, it's all very Carmine Infantino, you know, Gil Kane sixties, fifties, late fifties, early sixties, flashy stuff. Right. And in the future they have these aliens who are alieny and look like aliens, but are not, you know, it's, it's a massively, interesting undertaking takes place in four different time frames and they're all wonderfully realized there's an alex ross cover i won't hold that against it (laughs) um overall very very good book and it's finally i think it's finally getting to the tale the part of the tale that i've been wanting to hear for 15 years what's what really happens to the silver agent and i hope it has a big silver age upbeat ending this is issue one of two yes and supposedly and I don't want to get my hopes up or your hopes up, but supposedly Busick and Anderson have been saying that once this series is over, Astro City will be returning to a monthly frequency. Really? Wow. Yeah. I, I find that really, uh, yes, please do not get my hopes up on that because they this pulled is it a series that has been three terrible. years. Yeah, but they pulled it off for three years and then Busick had his illness and got really, really sick for the better part of five years. And right. he would, you know, he would put the series together when he could. But they are they are now saying that the plan is to go monthly. Mm, good. So that's, that's really awesome. So how many slices of meatloaf? All of them. All of them. Five the out whole of five. Bread pan full. Of Even meatloaf. just for the, the the opening sequence where he tells us of the history, four two pages, four, fourteen panels or so, the history of Astro City and the city that it was before when it used to be something falls, and it just goes through this whole. I mean literally hundreds of years of history and it's like i know that guy oh and i remember him and this all oh, this is so cool and i'm like oh this is why i like comics in the first place <laughs> if i ever had to pare my my list down to 10 comics or less astro city would be two of those slots uh-huh. very cool well high praise there from matthew for mm-hmm. astro city silver agent number one a couple of weeks ago i mentioned a series called bullet to the head from dynamite entertainment yeah yeah I talked about how it was very much like uh, Pulp Fiction in that these hitmen were uh, 
killed this senator and the whole conversation and dialogue exchange reminded me a whole lot of that whole opening sequence to Pulp Fiction. Well, issue number two arrives this week uh, from um, from Dynamite, written by uh, Matts, uh, illustrated and lettered by Colin Wilson, colors by Chris Blythe. And this one, the first issue really took a look at the two hitmen and what they were doing. This issue takes a look at the two New York City cops who are trying to figure out who killed the senator and the underage hooker and two dogs and threw away a $2,000 pair of shoes. While at the same time, they're being told by their um, their head officer, their chief, to knock it off, to stop the investigation. Because the FBI told you to stop it. The man died of a heart attack. Ergo, case closed. Right? Mm-hmm. And they keep pushing it. And I had mentioned, I think also the last time that we talked about Bullet to the Head was I was having a difficult time trying to place when this story actually took place. Uh, when, um, you know, it seemed like it had a very 70s vibe to it, then maybe it could have been an 80s vibe. Well, clues to this issue firmly place this series in 1999. Hmm. Because in one panel, there is a nice little iMac uh, from that time period, the little blueberry one there. This one may be the snow. Nice. Uh, and they're using the cell phones from that time period as well, which kind of put it in that kind of a case. As far as the writing goes, I think the writing is very tight, uh, but there's a lot of it. In fact, there are two panels in this issue where little, literally the character is squeezed to the edge of the panel yeah. while the rest of the panel is filled with text. And I was showing Rodrigo that one, and there is another one just like it over here, yeah. where there is a lot of stuff to read. We can understand that there's some conspiracy and cover-up going on. That's interesting. We start to see a little bit more of that flesh out, especially as the um, as the two New York cops draw closer to figuring out who might be behind this uh, or you know, putting another piece to the puzzle. But there's a lot of also un- unnecessary, what I think, wordiness in the issue. One panel or one page has one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, has 20 mini panels to it. And it's the two cops riding around in their car talking to Carlisle, who's the uh, the coroner, the medical examiner. And it goes something like this. Hello, Carlisle. Cronenberg here. You know where Perry is? He's next to me. Anything new? I have something. He's got something. What is it? What is it? Say, you have a really nice routine there, you know? This ain't new. Hey, what's he saying? That our routine is really nice. Uh, this ain't new. So do you want the update or don't you care? Give it up. Uh, something speaks. He says something speaks, and, and this is an expletive. There is S all over your case. On the bum shoes and Serling's apartment, the same S. No way. What? I'll explain. And that ain't all. And it continues and continues and continues for another page and a half back mm. and forth like that because it's like they're on the phone. What did he say? He's repeating it right next to it. And right. it just... It's maddening that they wasted a whole page doing that. Although clearly they were going for it. Yeah, something. they can go for it, and it does work. I have a feeling, though, that it would work better in a film oh, yeah. or in television than the way it plays out on the page in that pacing. Because, you know, when you're. If this were you and I having this dialogue exchange with Matthew, it would be boom, 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 boom. Here we have to look at the picture, read the word, anal- you know. There's some process that goes on in analyzing each of these panels. And so that's the part where it gets a little draggy. Still, good read. I enjoyed it. Bullet to the Head, Dynamite Entertainment, comes out this week. It's worth picking up, especially if you picked up the first issue. I'm giving it three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. So, there you go. Rodrigo dove into the 
way indie bucket this week. Yep. I, with, skipped, uh, I skipped over the normally indie bucket. Stuff of Legend number three. Stuff oh. of Legend. From Third World Studios. Yep. Tell us about it. All right. Stuff of Legend is apparently, and I'm just jumping into issue three here. Right. But it's the story of. Oh, this is the bear issue. Yeah. It's a story of a boy who gets taken to some mystical, magical place, and now his toys are trying to find him. And when they're in this mystical place, the toys are alive and and cognizant and also more awesome than normal. So, like, he has a teddy bear, but in this uh, this magic land, it's an actual bear that has a funny bow on it. (laughs) Um, There's a bear, there's a wooden duck... Um, a jester from like a Jack in the Box thing. We call um, those clowns. Um, Scary well, clowns. Yeah, they call him the jester. Keep him away. Um, a uh, like Tiger Lily style Indian princess. Okay. Um, a talking or a pig because they all talk regardless of what they are. Um, and every once in a while there's a dog in there, but sometimes he's gone, and I don't know if that's a thing. Um, and the dog doesn't talk. Okay. But this, the whole, it's all, it's very dark. The boy has been taking some, taken someplace, um, possibly by the boogeyman who seems to be the biggest antagonist. Right. Um. He always was when I was a kid. Right. He is, he is the one that's leading the, the, the evil armies across the land and has largely subjugated whatever this place is. Um, it's, it's incredible. It's really interesting. I mean, it's just. I was sitting there and all of the characters, their personalities come across immediately just in the conversations that they have. You're never like, well, where does this guy stand? Yeah. Um, it's clear that they all know each other. They all have like all of the toys are have. It's clear that they're all have this relationship where they all care about each other, but they don't necessarily agree about everything. Yeah. Um, the leader of the boogeyman's army seems to be a person perfectly reasonable person who is not entirely too happy about doing what he's doing he's a general who mm-hmm. just happens to be working for the bad guy i guess mm-hmm. um so it's it's just fascinating i i really want to go back and and find the first handful of of issues the first two issues this actually as i'm reading the description from the uh thirdworlds.com uh, website it's th the number 3 rdworld.com mm-hmm it almost reads like a twisted Toy Story 4. Does you it? You know, what would happen? You know, what essentially it's uh, uh, led by the tiny toy soldier, da, 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 uh, the boy, the toys enter the realm known as the Dark. They will, they will face off against the boogeyman and his army, a legion of the boy's forgotten bitter toys. Mm-hmm. So tell me that Woody and Buzz wouldn't be going after Andy when all of his forgotten toys yep, are. Came rebelling. out and, yep, exactly. The art looks pretty, uh, pretty different. It is. It's very cool. It's all kind of sepia tones. Um, it's very well done. A lot of the time, and, and I don't want to just completely class, you know, just throw everything in one gigantic category, but a lot of the time, indie titles have issues with art. Right. This is a very good, very smart way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it probably cuts down on coloring, although it's clear that it's been painstakingly like shaded and you know rendered. Yeah. Um. But again, everything's very distinctive. Obviously, because they're toys and all of their features are very uh, 
extreme as in for example being a duck mm-hmm. um you never get the characters confused but even then the characters that are more humanoid you never get confused right um and it's just you know they at night things are dark and and there are shadows everywhere and during the day it's like kind of very high contrast it's just it's pretty spectacular honestly i was i was eating up every page of this that i was seeing giant fight scenes um, it starts out with the toys engaging this kind of mercenary company, mm-hmm. um, and it's brutal. I mean, they they end up killing a lot of them. Some of them have qualms about killing. Some of them don't, and there's a little bit of treatment about it. Yeah, it's it's a very complex story. I'm looking at the uh, some of the concept art for this from the uh, Third World uh, website, mm-hmm. and the boogeyman kind of looks almost like the bad guy from. Uh, from uh, Time Bandits, mm. kind of in the in the costume design, except for the whole floating off stuff off the top of his yeah, head, kind of like dark shadow fire kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. Um, the boogeyman changes from panel to panel when he's oh, talking. Really? Oh, yeah. cool! Um, obviously on purpose. I mean, he gets more monstrous when he's trying to make a point, kind of thing, and mm-hmm. then goes back to being kind of normal when he goes to back to his. Um, you know, your classic passive aggressive, you right. know, don't let me down general kind of bad guy. Right. Um, very cool. I mean, obviously playing with a lot of the um the themes of fantasy and you know, the 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 toys coming back to life thing is something that has really come into fashion right fairly recently yeah. again. Yeah. Um but this book has definitely has its own thing going. I mean, it's like you start like just from this issue, you care about these toys and what they think and what they're doing mm-hmm. and why they're doing it. Um, it's almost not important that they're toys, although obviously the whole setup for the thing is that they are. I think uh, part of the reason why I, I remember seeing this when it was originally solicited and when it came to us and said, Hey, can you guys take a look at this? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I dismissed it because I thought, Oh, this is another Mr. Stuffins type book, mm-hmm. which was a boom studios title um, from a few years ago right. that we reviewed. And I got a kick out of that, but I was like, oh, do I really need another teddy bear gone crazy kind well, of story? Well, and, and Joe the Barbarian yeah. from, is it Vertigo, Marvel? DC? It's DC. Oh, oh is it? Okay. So it's but I don't know if it's a Vertigo title. Yeah. Um, is is doing something similar. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I'm I'm into this. And I read Joe the Barbarian, and it's or, or have read some of it, and it's really good. But um, this definitely has its own thing going. It's interesting. You don't know where it's going to go. Um, I would give it definitely four slices of meatloaf. Ooh, high praise from Rodrigo. Four slices of meatloaf this week. So overall, not too bad of a week. The lowest of 3.5, mm-hmm. the highest of five. Overall uh, rating there is probably like a 4.25 or something. Nice. Overall. So good week for comics. And again, I will say that I'm still on this reading high of of just different books that I'm picking up and reading and really getting a kick out of. If you get a chance to pick up stuff with Legend, I would I would definitely recommend it. Okay. It's Excellent. dark dark people like that kind of stuff all right the reviews are done matthew what does that mean yes what does that mean for our listeners it's listening at home time. for the first time ever i don't know i don't want to give you a strange harmonic or be four <laughs> things off the norm you know but i have it's time oh matthew for the millions in attendance and the 9322 future people listening in the future Hello, future people, and welcome to the major spoilers. Poll of the week. 
poll of the week. Week, 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 week. You know what we haven't done in a while? What's that? Poll <laughs> of the week. You know, there's been several images that have been released from Marvel over these uh, last couple of weeks from the uh, Kenneth Branagh Thor movie uh, mm-hmm. featuring, uh, what's his name? Um, Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins. Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Grace Hannibal Jones. Lecture. Yes. Grace Jones? <laughs> I don't know who's in it. It slipped my mind at the moment. It's not <laughs> important. Uh, Elvis? <laughs> it's not important who Chuck the Jones. are. Elvis. Um, Spike Jones. And don't forget Billy Carter. Don Knotts as Loki. I don't think it's important as to why are there so many hostages? Who's playing the parts of Thor and, and Odin and all this stuff? But we have been given a look at the uh, these uh, Norse gods in the uh, Thor movie, and mm. the costumes. Well, they haven't drawn as much criticism as Wonder Woman. In fact, maybe Wonder Woman deflected some of the uh, uh-huh. the concern, and they haven't drawn as much ire as the green lantern costume has has drawn Mm -hmm. but there's certainly Uh, something that people have been commenting on about these these costumes gentlemen what's that well do they look good do they look bad or should we just uh, forget about it and just say well that's the that's what the director decided and the art Mm -hmm. director decided and we should be happy with that that is our poll of the week this week (laughs) i'm waiting for a question Yes. Um, well, what do you think of the what do you think of the costumes? The costume design right. for the movie. You like it? You hate it? Or meh, whatever. Let's Rodrigo go. Rodrigo go. Um I don't mind it, definitely. I think it looks good. Um I, I think people are saying that it looks plasticky. It really looks plasticky because um, I mean you look at you look at that armor and it just looks like highly polished plastic. Right. Um and that's that's a bit of an issue, but I like it. It looks like some amount of time went into each like connecting piece. Right, it looks right, crafted, right? Especially and, Odin. Odin's is yeah. like really intricate. and that and that I can get into. You know, compared to the stuff from Clash of the Titans, which basically is just crank up like the, uh, blur silver, effect. yeah, silver the armor effect. with like a horrible blur filter yeah. over it that yeah. is just migraine inducing. Especially if you watch it in three D. Oh, I can't um, imagine that. 3D! I mean, look at, even looking at uh, Chris uh, Chris Helmsworth, is that his name? Um, yeah, Chris Helmsworth. The under armor of Thor, you mm-hmm. know, the chainmail stuff, right. looks like it's some kind of rubbery suit with grooves cut into it. Yeah. So you're okay with it, though? I'm okay with it. Matthew, um, what are your, what are I, your thoughts? I haven't seen it in motion, though. Right. So I guess if, if Odin is like... Attend me, Pantheon, and he raises his arms and you hear, <laughs> you know, then maybe it'll be an issue. Matthew, what are your thoughts on these uh, these costumes? I would like to take you back to a time in the recent past. It is the year 2007. A small website, not a blog, because it's a damn website, puts up pictures of Robert Downey Jr., dressed as Iron Man. And all of the responses go like this. Oh, that's plasticky. That looks fake. I'm going to call Bruce and see if he thinks it looks fake, too. Hey, Bruce, do you think it looks fake? Oh, no. That's how it looks. You think it looks fake? No, I don't think it looks fake. But oh, I think okay. that when we when we started showing the stills of Iron Man a couple years ago, there was a lot of, oh, it looks fake. But when it was in motion in the movie, it was an entirely different matter. And I think that trying to judge a two-hour movie 
that, you know, we are probably going to see this scene fully rendered and 3D imaged and glow in the dark. Flippy Dibby, they'll probably throw in some lens flare because you know how much I love the lens flare. You know, when it's in motion, when it's actually motion saturated farfants and, and ganoofers and flarbendoodles, I think it's going to look fine. And I think that people who worry that it looks too fake based on one still photo or two, I, I have only seen two photos of Thor's armor. I think I've seen the throne room picture and one other picture. And I look at this and people are like, it looks really, really fake in the two images that I've seen. So 29.94 frames per second multiplied times 200 uh, minutes. I'm going to do the math here. Wait, that's uh, between uh, how many seconds are in a minute? So you're, you're fine with the costume is what you're saying. <laughs> no, I'm saying the 224,550 frames will be in this movie. And of those 224,547 frames that we haven't seen, odds are it's probably going to look different. I think it looks fine. I don't have any problem with what we've seen so far. And I really think that the people who say it looks fakey have, you know, been looking at one image. Yes. I think that um, um, Hellboy 2 had a really, like, all the throne room stuff mm-hmm. had a very cool look to it. Mm-hmm. This this reminds me a little bit of it. It wasn't a great movie, but visually it was just fine. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty solid. When I originally saw this picture and it appeared, the uh, Odin, Thor, and Loki picture appeared at the LA Times website. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it looks on that website, because of the gamma differences, and I'm guessing they're running PCs over there, and I'm on a Mac. The gamma difference makes that image look a lot brighter than it is. Interesting. And when you look at it on a gamma that's shifted, the it really does look like plastic. I mean, you can't. I mean, it doesn't look like there is one bit of metal in any of these costumes. Mm-hmm. That's whenever I pulled it down and started playing with it in Photoshop and tweaking. Now I didn't tweak it for the for the website mm-hmm. unless there was a gamma change when I was saving it for the web. But um, that's one thing that people aren't taking into account is. We may be looking at essentially what's a raw image, you know, mm-hmm. the image that hasn't been processed, that hasn't been uh, post-produced a little bit. And I guarantee you just subtle tweaking here and there, oh, yeah. tweaking that uh, the S curve or the film curve or just tweaking the contrast just a little bit is going to make this plastic. Yeah, It's really going to make – I have a feeling that people are going to complain that Odin's, Odin's costume is way too dark mm-hmm. in the final version. I think that it, that those dark uh, areas of the costume are going to go almost pure black with these glints and highlights that are going to make you think instantly that it's metal. And those gold discs are going to shine mm-hmm. like metal, like nobody's business. And so I think that in the end, uh, I think that the costumes are going to look really great. So that's kind of what I went with right there. And mm-hmm. so I think people need to think that, yeah, we're not going to do a whole lot of, I mean, I could take this one image, five five minutes or less in Photoshop, and have it look to where people would say those costumes look great. And I think it's that post production that we're not seeing in here. Yep, I agree. That's now the problem is the problem is though, once this goes to home video, I think people's perceptions are going to change. Uh, I I was going to show you this earlier, Rodrigo. There's uh-huh. a new TV upstairs because the other one went to crap. Right. It's got one of these 240 hertz refresh rates on it which is, what, four times the, the 60 hertz refresh rate that you see in most televisions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holy crap. The, uh, the image is so sharp that something that was shot on video, like the Thor movie is being shot on video, projected or whatever in process to make it look like it was shot on mm-hmm. film, 
when you watch it on this television in high def, it looks like it was shot on video. Nice. I mean, I, we were watching Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince last night, and that movie looks like it was shot on video. Which is it really is, kind of the opposite it, of what you know, want. No, it is. It really is the opposite of what you want. I, we were just watching like Phineas and Ferb, and the animation is so startling crisp, and the movement is so sharp mm-hmm. that it draws you out of what's going on. Interesting. In that case, I think that we're going to have problems when this movie gets onto Blu-ray and gets into really good quality televisions and home theaters around the country. I think that's when we'll have the problem. But projected on a big screen in 3D, which unfortunately this is going to be in 3D, I think people are not going to have a problem with the with the costumes. Well, at all. hopefully, so the, do, your... do we know is this being shot in 3D or is it being up? No, this is the other problem. The thing that I hate that Thor is being upgraded. Ugh. Into 3D treatment. Well, that's the good 3D. thing about it, though, is that it's that basically guarantees that it's going to be available in yes. 2D. Yes, yes. So at least you can go watch it in 2D. Well, not here. Because we have one theater mm-hmm. in Hayes that has one screen that's 3D. Right. 3D! Because they, because they dropped a crap ton of money... Well, that but doesn't that, that mean that they would projector? have to they would have to prioritize Thor? There were movies like The Last Airbender, I think, was never in 3D in Hayes. Oh, I don't know because of Toy Story Toy 3. Toy Story 3. Was so still as long yeah. as they don't prioritize Thor, you might right. get to see it in 2D. I I might, also, but but I'm having a feeling just like if Iron Man was going to be in 3D, mm-hmm. that's the theater they would have put it in. So I have a feeling also, that we're only going to be able to see this here in 3D. I have a suggestion. Yes. You guys should get a lacrosse mask and a bubblegum machine, and we should come here and record our own riff tracks of Thor in the theater. Did you know I have uh, Tom Servo? I uh, want you to know we have something here in Hayes, not in Hayes, in Topeka. Topeka is is eastern Kansas. We call it civilization, (laughs) wherein you have the ability to go somewhere other than just the McDonald's. Yes. And you can see the movie in 3D or not. Yeah, amazing. Really? You can? I mean, you know. You know, it's really awesome. I will say this, though, Matthew. Hayes is not the end of civilization, but we can see it. But you can see it from there, exactly. (laughs) And McDonald's is fine dining, I will say, Mm -hmm. here in Hayes. There's two of them. Two of them, north and south. Ah, So people who are wondering where we live, there you go. We're not in Ohio. We are not in Lawrence. We are... In various places, we're going to. We are in three D. When we <laughs> pop, when we come back, in your face. we will be talking about three D. My name is the Dexter One Hundred Two. Your name is whatever your name is. And today, I'm going to give you a sixty-one second review of Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes with RDJ, Jude Law, and Mark Strong. So here we go, Sherlock Holmes in 61 seconds, starting from now. Okay, we've got Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Watson's about to move out because he's not engaged yet, but he's planning to get engaged. Then there's a hanging of Lord Blackwood, and miraculously he comes to life. And it's Sherlock Holmes and Watson trying to unravel the case of why he came back and stop him before midday. Find fun, knockabout. I actually really liked it, because it's fun, it's entertaining, it's the right length. And it wasn't stupid, big, dumb, robots punching each other action movie. It was entertaining. So I don't have a problem with it. This is the most spectacular thing about it, though. The director, Guy Ritchie. Now, Guy Ritchie has given us some terrible films. Rock and Roller, Revolver, absolutely awful crimes against cinema. 
And he's given us this wonderful knockabout action movie, which, if it wasn't released in Boxing Day last year, would have been up for a Dexy Award. So all in all, for the knockabout, just great fun of Sherlock Holmes, two and a half slices of meatloaf. Bang down the middle. Okay, so, as always, follow me on the Twitter, at the Dextar 102 Next week, you will get Toy Story 3 in 3D, possibly followed by Inception. We'll see. So thank you very much. Until next time, peace and love. Hi guys, this is Mela, and I'm calling with a review of Roy Crane's Captain Easy Soldier of Fortune, Volume 1, 1933-1935, that just came out from Fantagraphics. For those who might not know, Roy Crane is one of the comic medium's biggest innovators. He not only introduced the use of sound effects, he also gave the medium its first action-adventure series with Wash Tubs. This volume collects the first two years of the Sunday strips, which focused on Wash's more action-y buddy, Captain Easy. I could go on forever about Roy Crane, so I'm going to stop right now. Needless to say, quite a fan. This volume was delayed several times, but it's worth the wait. It's a huge book because it's the same size as the strips would have appeared in an old-school Sunday comics section. It really is huge. It's about the size of a legal sheet, and then it's twice as wide. It also has a really nice biography and history essay and an intro from Charles Schultz that was written in the 70s for a European release. The volume allows you to see all of the detail in crane strips from shading and fabric patterns to laying coral wreaths and gives you a breakdown of the coloring process at the end of it. I think, to a modern reader, the pacing and artwork will be an acquired taste. When read in one setting, it's easy to forget that a week appeared between these stories. So it feels a little too fast in this form, but you just need to keep in mind that it was originally a weekly release. Also, Crane had a style all his own. It's a mix between the Bigfoot style of the time and a more detailed, realistic style. Some of his women, in particular, look like specific silent film stars. What might turn off modern readers the most, though, is that the portrayal of um, non-white guys is of its era. You know what I mean. So you can imagine how someone who isn't expecting that might react. But this is the first time since the 1970s Crane work, Crane's work has been collected and available in this country. Between reruns of his second strip, Buzz Sawyer, available online, and now this volume, we can finally see why Crane was so praised by other cartoonists and so influential. I'm not sure everyone would like to drop 40 bucks on it, unless they're lay historians like me, or big fans of old-school action-adventure comics. But if you're interested in where newspaper comics used to be, where non-humor series began, if you're a fan of artists like Milton Cannon or Hergé, then you should at least borrow this from a friend or check it out from the library. To borrow a phrase from Rodrigo, and I liked it. You might too. Well, that's my review. Thanks for listening. Keep up the awesome work, and say hi to the critical hit guys for me too. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, contributing to the Major Spoilers podcast, and we want you to contribute in some meaningful way. Give us a call at our hotline and record a 90 seconds or less a thought, review, uh, question, commentary, whatever it may be. We want you to be a part of the complete Major Spoilers experience, and you can only do that if you call into the hotline number and contribute to the show. Matthew, that hotline number is... 785-727-1939, and I think it spells out a bad word. <laughs> yes, yes it does. Turn it upside down, and it spells boobies. Does it? No, it does not. It says I-W-E-W-I-Woo, which I believe is a... a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have been... 
I don't know. People have been begging us, asking us. Some people even try to demand that we review this book and make it so uh, for years now. The Walking Dead from Image Comics, Robert Kirkman and Charles Adlard, I think is uh, his is the Charlie Adlard. Yeah, Charlie Adlard. Um, the yep. Walking Dead series. We are reviewing Volume One from the hardcover collection, which collects the first twelve issues of the series. Rick Grimes wakes up in a hospital. Well, actually, Rick Grimes is a sheriff. He gets shot mm-hmm. while uh, trying to stop a crazy man. Wakes up yep. in a hospital sometime later, and the world has come to an end. Zombies are roaming. He finally uh, escapes. Meets up with his wife and child. Meets up with other survivors as they try to survive. Zombies. The zombie apocalypse. The shuffling Romero zombies that eat brains and guts and everything. When it gets cold, they don't move as fast. But if you get bitten, you're dead. And if you get dead, you're bitten. Well, I uh, don't remember. I don't think. Is it in this first 12 issues that we find out more about... uh, no, no, it's the it's the second it's the second volume the yeah, when they we, go to the present that we found out more. So we're not going to talk about it here because this is the first exposure that Rodrigo has had to the uh, Walking Dead series. So we don't want to ruin anything for him. Yay! Uh, zombies in pop culture. What do they mean? Yep. What do they represent, Rodrigo? What zombies represent um, in pop culture is people's innate fear of other people. Okay. Of of crowds and of just being torn apart by people, I think is what it means. That's why zombies are frightening. Um, because a werewolf is an animal. Yeah. And people have a certain amount of control. I mean, you know, werewolves are still scary. but Yeah. Um, well, I mean, vampires is essentially about a disease. Right. right? Or, Catching a disease. Or, or alternately just being scared of Europeans. Well, that could be it too. Hello, hello, blah, blah. Um... But yes, um, I think that zombies, to a certain degree, is that that fear of contagion. But mostly, it's that it's people that's going to be the the death of you. Okay, Matthew, th- mm. your thoughts? What do zombies mean in popular culture? Well, my problem is that my first expe- exposure to zombies was Steve Gerber's Tales of the Zombie in the seventies. Your first- well, written in the seventies, I read it okay. in the eighties. In comic book form, you had not read, you hadn't watched the, uh, you hadn't read or watched the George Romero uh, Night of the Living Dead or anything? I think I was 11. Tales of the Zombie was my first interaction with zombies. I didn't, when I was young, I didn't really care for escapist stuff. Yeah. And, you know, horror movies seemed kind of stupid to me when I was under 10 years old. I was kind of a little prick. But what what I was exposed to in Tales of the Zombie was actual talk of uh i think it's pronounced voodoo in uh the, the actual religious and spiritual significance oh, sure. of this to the peoples of haiti sure and how you know how the whole zombie the the legend of the zombie came from parts of that and how you know the the bokor would make a zombie and i was like ooh, this is all fascinating stuff this is this is like science Yes, and then of course eventually i i fell prey to romero's movies to me i think rodrigo hit part of it but The thing that's most horrifying about the zombie to me is the fact that, and you know, it's a losing battle. Mm -hmm. If your if your guy falls, he becomes the enemy. Right. Yep. 
So the zombie is horrifying because, you know, your best friend is bitten and you don't catch it. And three minutes later, your best friend is now the enemy trying to kill you. Right. So as a zombie movie goes on, it, there's no natural progression other than fewer and fewer living people and more and more things trying to kill them. And I think that that, I don't know, I saw Night of the Living Dead. And I guess, you know, if you watch Night of the Living Dead backwards, it's about two white people making lots of... Uh, of uh, friends of different nationalities. <laughs> but that's somebody you're, else's you're joke, not ass. mine. That's somebody else's joke, not mine. I think it was a web comic that showed up this week. <laughs> my, so I guess my problem with that's my problem with zombies is it's an end. It's it's a losing game. Yep. There's no way you're going to win, even in 28 days later. And you watch that movie mm-hmm. uh, with with the doctor, the ninth doctor in it. Yes, whichever one that was. There's no winning. Even at the end, even when the zombie plague or the rage plague mm-hmm. they think has burnt itself out, we get 28 weeks later. Yeah, but, and the plague it, but that's comes, a sequel. And though, the plague, I mean. But the plague comes back. Is it really eradicated? Mm. You know, is this, Has there ever been a high-profile zombie movie that ended with, and then they all walked out into the light of a brand new well, day but and see, everything that's was the, pe- well, that's, that's the problem. That's how 20... Well, I'm sorry for the spoilers. No, 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 go ahead. That's how 28 Days Later what? ends. Yeah, kind of. The ending is basically because the zombies are actually alive. Yes. Eventually, they all just burn themselves out. Yes. From not being able to eat. They eventually all starve. Yeah, they starve to death. And there's a scene at the end where you just see this. um, It's almost. Well, this we'll talk about issue one in just a moment. It's almost that the the creature is so desiccated. It's just sitting there going. "Ah, ah, ah," Yeah. And can't and can't do anything. And you know that that's what that's what the uh, so, the whole solution was. Twenty eight days later them. has about the closest thing to a happy ending that you usually well, yes. except you know the the comedic zombie movies, right. which are their own kind of well, you know, subgenre. Really, didn't uh, didn't even uh, Shaun of the Dead didn't it have a happy ending? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah except yeah. for the the comedy zombie movies. Okay, so they usually don't have happy endings. I like Robert Kirkman, and I like Robert Kirkman writing Invincible. Uh, Robert Kirkman in the opening pages of The Walking Dead steals just about every zombie trope that we have seen, Mm -hmm. right? It's 28 days later. It's George Romero, throw it in a blender, pour it in a cup, and this is the first, I don't know, six issues of this this book. Mm. And I think that's my biggest problem is, oh, you know, first... Here is this guy waking up in the hospital after the zombie apocalypse. Had 28 Days Later never been released, I think a lot of people would go, oh, wow, what a novel way to introduce the zombie apocalypse without all these strange reports of a meteor and the dead coming back to life. Like they did in 28 Days Later. Yes, exactly. like, well, do you know what the timeline was as far as that? A month. Like, he was in there for a month. He no, was no, no, unconscious no, no. I, for a I mean, month. I, I mean, um, which came first, which the came chicken first. or the 28 days later? I mean, I'm guessing later. because of all the comparisons, I'm guessing 28 yes. days later so, did come first. But yeah, 28 like days how, later. Like, was this already in the works when it came out? Well, let's look. 28 days later came out in 2002. Um, Walking Dead is five years old now. Mm-hmm. So f- five years, six years old now. I think five years. So you're looking at 2000 or 2005. Yeah. So this came out Walking after. Walking Dead 2002 came out in 03. Yeah. So it came out after. Okay. The same thing. And so I. But can't you, I mean, let's, let's take a moment and step back. If you're, if we're saying that this is, you know, it's starting out. With a heavy influence, that's not the same as saying it's a ripoff. I mean, no, isn't I didn't Batman say it's a ripoff. I said that that's a problem. Wonder- isn't Luke Skywalker just King Arthur in space? 
I mean, if you break it all down, wow, wow, but- wow, 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 wow. there's a there's a difference between saying how do we how do like at the beginning of this book, the main character has no idea what has been happening. Right. There are different ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. If 28 days later, guys in a hospital, if in The Walking Dead, he had been trapped in a mine mm-hmm. and trying to find his way out or whatever, and mm-hmm. then he comes out. That would have been two things that start the same way without being exactly the same thing. Right. And I think that's what Steven's getting at. Right. If it hadn't been for the hospital thing, I think I probably would have given that a whole, uh, you know, a big pass. Yeah. And just said, hey, what a great way to jump into, you know, after the plague. Here's somebody that doesn't know what's going on. But, you know, that the fact that he did get shot and he was in the hospital did set up this whole first search of I need to find my family. And Mm -hmm. this desire and drive that I think we all would have if there was some kind of a major catastrophe to want to find our loved ones have you guys have you guys seen zombie land i have it yes, i want to watch, watch it. that last night that's funny because nice. i i need to it's up next right. on my on my list of things to watch i finally In, watched hot tub time machine this is this is funny and it's it's um the the two main the two romantic leads in Zombieland. right you never you figure out one of their names at the very end but scott pilgrim yes and um, bill murray that's right um but they just call each other by where they were heading when yeah, they yeah. met. Texas, Tennessee. The hilarious thing is that if the zombie apocalypse broke out, mm-hmm. I would be heading for Ohio or for Columbus. Right. And my girlfriend would be heading for Wichita. Right. So that's us. Yeah. And and that's oh, and that's, a, that's sweet in a creepy sort of I know, isn't it? But that's that's a personal you know, that's that is a perfectly She's also a con artist. <laughs> that's a perfectly reasonable nature i think that all mm-hmm. of us would do that you know the the first instinct what is oh my gosh there's a fire or a tornado strikes a town where's my son where's my wife how do i get to them whatever mm-hmm. and so yep. that's what rick grimes is doing i have to get home to see my wife and kid find out that they're not there there's a uh, uh father and son who have stuck stayed behind everybody else said go to atlanta because the government said the big cities will be the safest place to go mm-hmm. brilliant yeah brilliant brilliant mm-hmm. You know, another question I have, just to kind of deviate very quickly, is we have been exposed to the zombie genre for so long now. There's even a book called The Zombie Survival right, Guide. Right, right. There's, the there's undead, a dedicated role-playing game called All Flesh Must Be Eaten. If the undead rose tonight, like right now, if Rodrigo walked out the door at the end of the night and a zombie bit his head off, ah. would people be able to survive a zombie apocalypse now? Assuming the zombies behave, behave like just and that's, just like in that's the a Romero. Good, that's a good point. I mean, we are kind of so saturated by zombies that it's kind of weird that characters in zombie movies right. don't understand zombies right. to that point. Because even characters in werewolf movies, they're like, oh, well, we got to get our hands on some silver some bullets, silver bullets right. or something. Right. Because, But that's presumably coming from folklore and not mm-hmm. necessarily from werewolf movies. Right. But um, we know that if a zombie comes at you, you destroy the brain. Right. You destroy the head, obliterate it, and that's the end of the story. Don't get bitten, or you become one of them. Run faster than the zombie. Yep. Don't make a lot of loud Or faster loud than whoever's with you. Yes. I don't have to be faster than them. I just have to be faster than you, Rodrigo. Yeah. So, um, this is why I'm never going anywhere with either of you. <laughs> We're going on a camping trip. Yep. Um. No! <laughs> the fat guy never comes out of that well, and I'm not going to be Ned Beatty, you son of a... So, but if the zombie apocalypse did did occur, 
and the government said, go to the big cities because we can protect you there. Do you think a lot of people would go, F that okay. idea. I'm staying right here and hunkering down and I'm boarding up my windows and anybody that comes within 10 feet of the house is getting a shotgun to the head. Oh, yeah. Point I, of order. Yeah. You live in Western Kansas. That happens now. Yep. That is true. The if the zombie apocalypse happened. Zombie apocalypse, if the be... zombie apocalypse happens now, first thing I do, get in the in the Jeep, rolls the windows up, I back the hell out of the garage as fast as I can, running over anything that's in my way. I drive the Jeep through Walmart, mm-hmm. and I go directly back to the sporting goods section. I load up on all the guns and bullets and food that I can load up in five seconds or less, back in the Jeep, run over whatever the hell is standing in my way, back into the house. We're, we're there. That's it. End of story. I'm and not then going it, anywhere then else. it turns out that it was all just a hoax and you just killed 50 innocent people. <laughs> I have, I have a, shouldn't have been in my way shuffling like that. I have, I have a friend who, um, his greatest fear, like, yeah, he's, he's, he's said to me several times that his greatest fear is not the zombie apocalypse. Right. His greatest fear is that, and he loves zombie movies. Right. And he's terrified by them. He's one of those guys who loves like that scary thing, right? Mm-hmm. He loves being mm-hmm. scared. Mm-hmm. Um, he has said to me that his greatest fear is that he will be having a nightmare about a zombie and that someone will wake him up pretending to be a zombie and he will <laughs> kill that person. Like He's told me, and he's like, don't ever pretend to be a zombie around me because I am literally terrified of them. Now, in the George Romero walk, uh, Night of the Living Dead, it was a virus from space, right? That caused the... Uh, there was yeah, never was an meteor. explanation. It's a meteor. There was, oh, a, satellite that, about, there was no, a satellite that returned back. There was no, never very, an explanation the in the original end, movie. No, at the very end, they play this radio broadcast about like waves from Mars or something oh, okay. like that. That's okay. what yeah, it was. So it was something like that. Um, there, there was a reference to it, but it was never explained. And yeah, I think never, it was they never out and like out. They never out and out. And 28 days later, it was a v- literal virus that was created in the lab, this mm-hmm. rage virus that created that. You know, I'm kind of l- like your, your friend that was telling the story. I have a legitimate fear of the zombie apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Most of my really cool dreams and my wife for years, I don't know how she's put up with it for as long as she has. For years, I will wake up in the middle of the night talking about this really cool, awesome dream that I had where I was fighting and killing zombies because I know that we were all safe that way. Mm-hmm. It's just a really, I know it's irrational, but it's just, it's one of those things. No, it's, it, you, you know, know, we don't know how your wife has managed not to kill what you is either. The, um, what's the other one? I, I don't know if it, is it also a George Romero one where it was like, uh, Hell was full, so now the dead are walking the earth. What is that tag? That's Day of the Dead. That's the second one. Okay, so that's also part of the Romero zombie verse. Is there Mm -hmm. a religious? Is there a religious zombie uprising? Is that is that it? The you know after the uh, what is the uh, big? uh, Well, usually there's there's two um, there's there's two starts potential starts to any zombie or, or to any zombie outbreak. Although not necessarily the movie, it's either magic right or it's science right um. Usually, if it's magic, it's somebody took something that they shouldn't, ergo mm-hmm. zombies. Mm-hmm. Or if it's science, it's someone did something that they shouldn't have, right? Ergo zombies. Right. It's it's funny how punitive like the zombie thing is. It's yeah. like when man messes yes. with nature they and should, or they forces that they domain. shouldn't. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. In this book, er, in in this first book. We don't find out what caused the zombie apocalypse. In fact, mm-hmm. all the way up through yeah. issue 75 that, that uh, is out in stores this week, we don't find yeah. what has caused 
the zombies to rise. Mm-hmm. We do find some oh. other things, minor things about zombies, mm-hmm. um, but we won't reveal it here because, again, you haven't read that, Rodrigo. Right, but let's just say you're dead, you're a zombie. Right. Okay. Um, Rick Grimes makes it to Atlanta, instantly swarmed by zombies and, until this uh, one, one guy saves him, mm-hmm. says, hey, we're going to go back to camp with a few other survivors. <laughs> Low you mean people. short round? Yes, short round. No time for love, Dr. Jones. Yeah. Uh, he says, let's get back to camp with the other survivors. And lo and behold, there's his wife and his son and wow. his best friend have all survived in a town of a million people. Yes. Okay. I believe Atlanta is like 550,000 people, but even so. I don't know. The Atlanta, weakest Atlanta is a big city. I live there and in the suburbs. And I know Robert yep. Kirkman's from there, too. So mm-hmm. he knows, you know, what kind of odds. Are you saying it's improbable that his wife the and kid would have made it? The way they explained it yeah. was that the wife and kid and the best friend got to Atlanta too late. Right. That the outbreak had already occurred there. And so they weren't in the city proper when mm-hmm. things went down. So... Maybe, but probability-wise, well, what's the probability that any of them survive? Well, that's true. Why didn't any of the zombies come and munch him while he was asleep? Wait until you read volume two. Oh, okay. Matthew, what were you going to say? I think that it's important to to look at this not just as the series of issues, but this is the early going, and for me, this is kind of like the pilot, right? And the weakest storytelling of the series is yeah. in these first five issues. Mm-hmm. The miraculous reveal of his family and, you know, the way it's it's really an example of, you know, what Rodrigo tried to avoid in Critical Hit, which is, OK, you're all a party and this is this is how you go. and How do you know each other? What they're really doing here is they're building the gaming world. They're gathering the the party, right. if you will. Right. And in order to, you know, in order to take Rick from that hospital sequence to where he needed to go, there was that awkward little moment where it's like, and then miraculously, da-da-da. So I feel like, t- to some degree, especially now knowing that 28 Days Later opens with a sequence like this, I believe that's what you said, isn't it? Yes, it mm-hmm. does. I've never seen the movie, so I don't know. He actually uh, just wakes up in the hospital. Uh, that okay. that main character in 28 Days Later just wakes up in the hospital. There's a whole bit at the beginning where uh, this lab is trying to get these monkeys to go crazy over rage and infect them with mm-hmm. rage. These uh, animal rights activists break in to free the monkeys. The monkeys turn on them and infect the people, and they turn into the rage, and then this guy wakes up 28 Days Later. In a hilarious twist, rather than saying, this is bad because scientists were messing with nature, is this is bad because activists were trespassing. <laughs> Damn activists. And thus, zombies. Yes. Okay. Well, taking that, it feels like that sequence may have been strongly inspired by the movie, and that starting in the hospital thing forced us to have the miraculous reveal in issue two. Yes. Which to me is one of the most bothersome elements of an otherwise fine series. And if you really, if you get past these first few, you know, I want to say first five issues. Oh, really? Because I was going to say, if don't you get, get me past wrong. the first 75 issues, then. <laughs> Shut your face. The first five issues are problematic. But once it really gets to a groove and it really hits right at the end of this arc when they find the prison. Yes. Spoilers. Yes. Um, when you get to that point, uh, things turn really weird. And they go places that even zombie movies haven't gone, which yeah. I really appreciate. And, you know, but- of, 
of this, and if you're reading it in paperback form, volume one is the first six issues. Volume two is the first is, uh, seven through twelve. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this first arc, these first twelve issues, I actually really, really like because I think mm-hmm. it follows the the tropes of the zombie genre. Tropes, yeah, exactly. And I think it does it incredibly well. Um, it's after that, especially when they get to the prison where things not only go weird, but they really get, in my mind, just really boring. Um, but in these first 12 issues, there's a lot of zombie action. There's a lot of let's build this world of zombies and the survivors. And I like that. But and I don't know if this is intended or not. Walking Dead ends up becoming a platform for Kirkman to explore other topics, societal topics, such as. But isn't that what all zombie stories are? Uh, you know, when I watch the other, when I watch some of these zombies movies, it is essentially every man for himself. They're not looking at bigger, bigger issues, right? It's like, how can I be the one that survives? against everyone else. How do I become the king of the hill in the zombie massacre? Mm-hmm. In this in these first couple of issues, we start to see Rick as a sheriff starting to come to grips of living in a world that has no law and order and he is a law and order man now without a place in the world. We get issues of, you know, how does he take what he knows and applies it to this world of chaos. How does he try to rein in and control the chaos? We get these issues of infidelity and how do you deal with infidelity when you might be the last people on earth Mm -hmm. and your wife just so happens to be pregnant with your best friend's baby and you know, go, you know, how do you deal with, uh, I, I don't know if it is in these first 12 issues or not, Matthew, you may correct me the whole, Mm -hmm. um, Two girls, one guy storyline. Yeah, that's these. that's not in the first arc. Okay, I don't think. okay, but so, it's hinted at. Sort yeah, of. it's hinted at with the two younger girls and the it's, older guy, and one of them dies. It's built up. Yeah. Um, you deal with, um, you know, the survival mode issue. You deal with how do you how do you deal with a friend's betrayal? Those are all things that are dealt with in this this first big twelve issue arc. Um, how do you deal with? Um, you know, I think there's a bigger, also a bigger kind of theme that runs throughout. And maybe I think Matthew, you or Rodrigo mentioned it in the opening statement about how eventually society is the downfall of us all, how being in these closed communities, being in these, uh, spaces with other people is just going to be the end of us. And when Mm -hmm. we get into that second arc, when they find that, uh, gated community and they think, Hey, here's a good place to live. Oh no. The sign on the, we didn't see that sign that says go away. You know, the entire area is infested. Yeah. Uh, And so I think these are things that Kirkman can touch on and at least try to explore without really pissing a lot of people off because Mm -hmm. this is happening in the zombie world where, you know, certain topics are now open for discussion. Well, I I look at it this way. I think that the the zombie genre very quickly, I mean, there have been zombie movies forever, almost for as long as there have been movies. Right. And there have been zombie stories for even longer. Right. But the zombie has really come into vogue in the past 10 years. Yeah, I would say so. Um, To the point where we're now like normal mainstream people who aren't us at all because we're yeah. not normal can talk about um, zombies. can n- know what it what a zombie is and what a zombie's weaknesses and abilities are mm-hmm. um now 
comes a time where they start exploring the genre, where you make comedies like Zombieland and Shaun of the Dead, when right. you well, um, and that's the can ultimate. use the can use the zombie as a way to explore other things. If you think about it, you know, aliens, right? Um, early movies about aliens were just about aliens kidnapping people or people fighting aliens, right? Eventually, we get to Star Trek: The Next Generation, mm-hmm. which is about global which is about world policies right it's just under the context of aliens Mm -hmm. so you know the the walking dead is basically just taking that next step and saying okay society has broken down because of we'll say zombies right what happens yeah exactly what do you think about any of these other issued things that have that i've brought up those am I just reading too much into the series because no. I I want more zombie gore and and less talky talky. There there is a good deal of talky talky, but I think that's I think that's the uh, that's the meat of the series uh, uh, uh. is the relationships between these characters and you know when you take away rules like you know what size what side of the road you're supposed to be driving in right all the time because that's the rule, mm-hmm. but. When there are no more rules, no more people to enforce those rules, which rules can you just get rid of? Right. You know, I mean, look at the the guy who puts them up in his farm. Um, yeah. He lets them stay because his son has been wounded. Like, mm-hmm. do you as a family man, would you just let anybody come into your house? Right. Well, but again, it, it depends on the situation. Yeah. You know, um, there were a lot of people that freaked out over the year 2000, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I don't know if you were old enough to remember 2000, Rodrigo, when people uh, thought it was going to be the end of the world, the, the Y2K, mm-hmm. and that everybody had to store up, you know, 10 pounds of beans and rice right. and, you know, 30 days or, or longer worth of water and all that stuff and don't trust your neighbors and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But there, at that time, and I, there was a weird family that lived next door to me that I'll have to tell you another story about another time. <laughs> but there were actually people that says, hey, if this does happen... I will board up my windows and I will fight to keep people away from my door because I don't, I, I can't share my food and water. Mm-hmm. But then there were other people that would say, hey, I'm going to try whatever I can do to help my fellow man because we are right. the quote unquote survivors in this, in this technology breakdown. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the farmer does. And I forget his name. Um, in, Herschel. In this, yeah, Herschel. Yeah. In this book is he's, I think he recognizes the fact that here are some people in trouble. This boy has been shot. Uh, Rick Grimes' son is gets shot, and I need to do what's right to make sure that this boy lives and survives. Meantime, I want to be hospitable, but these people are not going to stay here. Right? These people are going. You are going to leave at some point. And oh, by the way, uh, one of my sons is a zombie, and I've been rounding the zombies up and putting them in the barn. Yeah, that's another troublesome spot for me. Let's keep but my zombie. But but kid that's up. but that's the point, though. I don't know. That's, that's, that's exactly the point. That's when you exactly look at it, the point. His point makes perfect sense. If you take a, if you take away from the fact that you and I and Rodrigo have seen a million zombie movies, right? Let's say, and I know this is horrifying, and I've had this discussion a number of times, and it always makes me very sad. Let's say that it's your family, yeah, that's sick, and you look at this, and they're sick. Are you really going to be able to look at, you know? And I, I, I hate to call you out like this, but are you going to be able to look at the boy if the boy were zombified and say, you know, I need to shoot him in the head? Or are you going to think, how do I make the boy better? Well, but if it's clear that in all of the billions of years of zombie genre films that we have seen. But you haven't seen those. 
you haven't seen them. And that's well, the thing if about I'm in this, this situation, you're talking about my son not living in this comic book world. But that's I'm talking why I asked about that question if, before. If we if take Matthew away gets from bitten, the back. I'm shooting you. Mm-hmm. Rodrigo, you get bitten. I'm shooting you to put you out of your misery and to keep me from harm. My, Wait, my old, my old, my old roommate told me this. He actually, like, with a completely, <laughs> with a completely straight face. Rodrigo, if the zombie apocalypse comes, I'm killing you. He said, "Okay, here's how we're going to do this." And I was like, "Okay, he's going to talk about me like not putting the towels back or something like that." <laughs> he's like, "If the zombie apocalypse happens." Now, I understand that you might be running away, you might get some blood on you, might be trying to get away from zombies, you might be in a state. So if I see you and I have a gun or something, and you come towards me, I'm going to give you three chances. I'm going to ask you three times right. to make some noise or uh, move in some way that lets me know that you're not a zombie, mm-hmm. and if you don't, I will kill you. And I would expect for you to do the same for me. Right, Exactly. Exactly. What's wrong with that? No, no, no. I'm just saying this is this is something that someone actually told me in all seriousness. But, you know, this idea, I don't know. I, I can't grasp my mind around it because, well, it's not clear in the book whether these people are really dead or whether they have, if they're sick. Mm-hmm. I think that your guts and entrails. Pr- actually, the book is pretty clear about them being dead. Well, but Herschel doesn't think so. You know, well, he's thinking that's because that of sick. his son, though. I mean, right. like in the book prior to this, they cut a guy's head off right. and the head is still moving. Right. Um, so I think in this situation, when it's clear that these people are dead, I don't want the dead coming after me. So it's if it's my family, it's my it's whoever is zombies. And it's obvious that there's no cure. People are going down. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't care if it comes <laughs> to that. Now, the good you thing know who is, else would say that a sociopath, probably. Um, but you know, if, if Matthew is fine, then there's no problem with Matthew, quick Matthew into the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Matthew doesn't do anything quick. <laughs> uh, then there's not a problem, but I, I just think that, and, and not to spoil it for you future in, in the future, Rodrigo, but there are, in addition to Herschel, mm-hmm. there are two other instances that we see in the walking dead where, people are keeping family members chained up mm-hmm. that have been turned yeah. to zombies. That's just, I don't, you know, I, I'm well, not, I mean, again, that's baffling to you because you have that context. Like, it's like saying, well, why isn't that guy chaining himself up? He's clearly going to become a werewolf in two days. Right. Well, he doesn't know that. Yeah. He doesn't, he thinks that it's all a big well, trick and that he's just hallucinating his chewed up friend. Right. But it would be different if, Oh my gosh, I just saw the zombies attack my wife and now so, she's coming back all glassy-eyed and and wanting to and is also devouring my neighbor. I should chain her up in the basement cuz you know, she might get better. Are you saying are you saying that these people like are you saying that it takes you out having, of the narrative? Are you saying that this is not no, actually I, what people would do? No, no, no. Well, I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Do you think people would Oh, I would think do people that? would absolutely do Re- that. Out of, people oh, yeah. would be people would do stupider things than that. That's but see, that's the reason yeah. why I asked in the beginning if the zombie apocalypse the thing is, this really is, occurred, will this crazy This is go like down? 5 this is like 2 or 3 months into the zombie apocalypse, yeah, right? It's All the thing. people that tried stupider things than this yeah. are now zombies. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's true. And there's also, you know, you have to take into account that this book 
is not about the zombies. No, it's not. That's why I said there's all these other social issues that are being brought up in the book. And that's important. And I don't, I don't want to spoiler a, a narrative point because it comes up later in the book. But Rick actually says on panel at one point, we are the walking dead. Right. He's that's not, where the, you know, the book is not the about the of, zombies. That's at the end of the um, se- uh, second volume of the hardback collection that that happens. Mm-hmm. And right. then, of course, you've got so, a I plot mean, at that point, because anytime you hear the title, the of, title the book, of the movie, then you've got a. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Yeah. I have that same problem when I watch James Bond movies. Truly, I'm going this to was a. Yes. Sorry. A quantum of solace. <laughs> truly, truly, this was a bogus journey. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, you're right. This isn't about zombies. It's about people trying to cope with and trying to adjust to this new world and trying to bring their old way of life and right. making it fit into this way of life. And as we will see time and time again from now until the current issue, every time you try to do that, it Zombie doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, yeah. But you're the pragmatist, and that's how you see things. You're the pragmatist. You know who, if you were in The Walking Dead, you would, would be, be the, the guy with the, the gun. You would be the guy with the gun and the handlebar mustache who shows up in about issue 50. Oh, yeah, the guy. The guy who he found out his family was a zombie, so he blowed him away. He went and got guns, and he's been alive ever since. Yeah. And everyone that he comes near dies horribly, but he's been alive ever since. Yeah, no, I would be so, the guy. I would be the guy at the very beginning of the book, the first guy that Rick Grimes meets. That is, he and his son are in the house, and they're cleaning up the zombies every day that come near their house. But they're they're alive. Mm-hmm. They're just staying away from everybody. Zombie comes in the yard, and, you kill it. And I'd be Dale, the fat guy who inexplicably is still alive and has a VW, but an RV rather. <laughs> but we. You know, we all read into any zombie story, but this one especially, what we want to get out of it. And I think that to you, you know, you said that you you want a little more blood and guts and brain eating. I love the soap opera bits. And there are times when they'll go, and we're surrounded by zombies. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I don't like that you part know, so much. That, you know, that's, that's, I think that's, that's not a strength of the book. In this first volume, it's hard to make out. And like I said, in this first it volume, is. zombies I think are always are all zombies over the place. Are always there. The zombie, like, zombie presence, the zombie threat is always there, and you have to be aware of it. What becomes tiresome is when, as people start to die around them, and this is what's going on in future books, they have to spend issues discussing, well, your 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 soulmate just died. How do you feel about that? How do you think I feel? Someone just around me just died. You don't understand. Well, wait, remember last issue when my loved one died and I went all crazy nutsoid? That kind of stuff happens again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And that just really gets old of, okay, yes, we're trying to deal with coping with loss and everybody copes with loss differently, but... You can only tell that same plot point or rebring up that subject 20 times before people are like, okay, okay, let's move on. Right. We understand someone died. We understand you're upset. Let's not talk about it and let's get on with it. Mm-hmm. Better but stop that's living kind of, or you better start dying. That's what it boils see, down to. See, if you, if you keep quoting Stephen King, <laughs> bad things are going to happen, especially <laughs> if you're talking like Morgan Freeman. I'd like to say that the Monopoly guy fought the good fight. But – you, <laughs> that didn't sound like Morgan Freeman at all. No, it didn't. Um, shut your face. <laughs> it kind of sounded, sounded like Falkhorn Leghorn a little bit. Watchingly, I keep my dead people numbered for just such an occasion. <laughs> when we stop recording, remind me to tell you the joke. Right. Okay. So 
<laughs> awesome. This is the, one of my favorite response... comics out there. It's easy. It's easily the best zombie story I've ever seen, and it is just so well paced. I just finished the third hardcover book, and I and damn, I hope you guys review the rest of the series too. All right, we will. What were you going to say, Matthew? Or what were you trying to say? I don't remember. You interrupted me. Sorry. Hector okay. Busnut says, The Walking Dead is one of those comics that arrived just at the right time. It was one of the first zombie-themed comics to arrive after the uh, resurgence of the genre in film, and it's certainly the only one I can think of that's gone the distance. Uh, we're up to the high 70s or something. I think the longevity can be attributed to the fact that this never set out to be a six-issue mini full of zombie chop sake that got picked up as an ongoing, but was, as it says on the cover, a continuing story of horror survival. The book is about the people, not the zombies. In fact, we can go months and months without seeing any signs of the zombie blight. If you, uh, if you want instant violent gratification, this isn't the book for you. Kirkman... Yes, Stephen. No, no. Hey, what did I say? I said the first 12 issue I actually like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the less... For, the, for what it's worth, volume three I actually like. Mm-hmm. The last six or seven issues of the book are interesting, but I can already see where it's going kind of thing. Uh, Hector goes on to say, Kirkman constructs a very uh, precarious world where the survivors uh, boxing in, uh, what's it say, boxing in by the mindless zombies is dramatically offset by the infighting brutality and the cunning of the remaining few humans in their struggle to keep, to keep both humankind and their humanity alive in extraordinary circumstances. It's a slow burn character driven book that I just adore. Everybody seems to like it. Even Julian goes on to say that he likes it. You know, there's some really there's some really good writing in there. Mm-hmm. I love the art. Yes. Uh, there are times though when uh, screen continuity gets really broken, where we're breaking the 180 degree rule like 20 times in a given page. Yeah. That mm. that's bothersome. But the art, I think, is really good. I re- I highly recommend the first volume of 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 The Walking Dead or the first two if you're getting in paperback. I like this series, but I think it's kind of grown stiff and stale a little bit. <laughs> Which is why everybody I think should really pick up issue number seventy five because we find out that it's all about aliens. <gasps> you Liar. bastard! Sorry, Liar. and it's in color. What? Liar. I am dead serious. <laughs> there, no, I'm He's dead serious. He's walking dead serious. Yes, I'm walking dead serious. Rodrigo, give us some more thoughts. I mean, I've been talking a lot. Give us some more thoughts about this. Um, it definitely. I think what the Walking Dead sets out to do is to explore and explore and explore and explore and explore the zombie apocalypse. Um, it is a a time honored tradition. And I think even the very first actual zombie movie, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is it Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead? Dawn of the Dead. Night um, of the, I'm sorry, Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead, there you go. Um, in which you know who you should actually, you can outrun a zombie, you can shoot a zombie in the head. Mm-hmm. The one that you should actually be afraid of is other people. Yeah. Other people are going to kill you. Is that the social commentary then, that no matter what, we're always going to screw things up? Um. We're always going to ruin it, no matter how I, perfect I think, life is. I think the 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 commentary. I I don't even know that it's commentary. I think that it's actually a trope of the zombie genre. Okay, that mm. given the option to save themselves or save you, people are going to save themselves. Right, and some and that brings about bad judgment calls. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So if somebody else thinks that you're slowing them down, they're just going to kill you. Right. So that they don't get eaten by zombies. Right. So right. on and so forth. So you see that. And I think um, the comment of the slow burn is a good one because there is that going on. You see everything just slowly starting to bubble up, you know, to the surface. Kirkman does a really good job of setting things up. And you're like, oh, I know what that look means. Mm -hmm. Eventually, this is going to come to a conflict. Mm -hmm. And really, that's the important part. You know, as you go, you are like, look at this zombie. It is frozen. Zombies freeze. Mm -hmm. And those zombies can tell who we are by smell. If we smell like zombies, they won't come after us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, zombies can't shoot lasers out of their eyes like we previously thought. Good luck. Good job, guys. We don't have to wear this tinfoil anymore. Okay. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Matthew. But those come in very small packets because right. they are not at all the like right. what Kirkman is trying to do. Right. Well, I think if you make it up to issue 75, I think you start to put um I think you start to put Rick in a different kind of light. And as mm-hmm. you read into volume 2 of this series in the hardcover, you'll also start to see the idyllic society start to crumble because we are doing it upon ourselves. Right. Th- that kind of stuff. Matthew, let me ask you this. Yes. This is an ongoing series of uh, horror survival, right? So survival far. horror. Survival horror. Mm-hmm. Is Do you think that there will be an end to the zombie apocalypse? Do you think that uh, society will reform after a disaster like this in this book? I think society will always try to reform. And I think, that, you know, the Flintstones has proven to us that people <laughs> will try will try to rebuild what they know with what they have. Right. And that's what makes that's really what makes The Walking Dead so fascinating is seeing these people. And every once in a while, they're like, how do we make it all go back? Mm-hmm. How do we make it? You know, how do we fix it? How do we make it better? Well, we're not entirely sure that you can. Right. As the reader, you know, we're, we can look at this and go, um, yeah, maybe not so much with that. But the characters living these lives, actually, they have to try, even if it's ridiculous. And, you know, the, the thing that, that I find most fascinating, and this doesn't come up until a later arc, their most successful try is in the prison. Yes. And if you look at, you know, the, the whole sequence and everything that happens in the prison – they really aren't very successful at creating a normal life. They aren't no. very, you know, very successful at all. They actually end up locking themselves in the prison. So I think what, what we're supposed to take from this is obviously people are going to try to rebuild stuff. People are going to try to put the world back the way it was. But what's eventually going to happen is they're going to end up making things worse nearly yeah. every single time. Yeah. And I think that's what that's what's fascinating about this. I have to go back. I think io9.com did a uh, report, and it may have come from another science study because they usually dive into the realm of science. I just – I find it hard to believe that in 30 days uh, that all of society crumbles due to the zombies. It's It's interesting because it seems like – the zombie outbreak occurs all at once all over the place, yeah. right? As opposed to uh, patient zero mm-hmm. in Connecticut right. mm-hmm. bites, and it's going to take five or six days to get to us mm-hmm. or five or six days to spread out, you know, a thousand miles or whatever it may be. That's the one thing that I, I kind of find interesting in this is 
we we don't know how this happened. Right. It just seems like all at once the dead live, the dead live, and then society falls apart. Now there are um, I don't remember his National Geographic. I know the Discovery Channel looked into it. Uh, what happens if humans suddenly just disappeared? Mm-hmm. If the what's that religious uh, everybody. The rapture. The rapture. If the rapture suddenly occurred, everybody on Earth disappeared, what would happen? And it takes a look at how long would it take a nuclear power plant to fail? How long would it take a skyscraper to uh, start to crumble and fall apart? Mm. And it's actually quite a long time. Yeah. So for actually like homes and things to be totally demolished in, in 30 days, or in this case about year and a half, two years of what's gone in this story in real time – Man, things have really fallen apart quick. Mm-hmm. But it, how much damage did people do to things? Yeah, exactly. well, see, that's, that's fighting, another. You know, there, you know that, that this question. happens is like if if the Manchester United does well, <laughs> the hooligans are going to be that like half of the city gets destroyed. <laughs> yeah. So and and if they do poorly, the entire city gets destroyed. <laughs> so if somebody is like, uh, yes, now with a special report, um, the dead are coming back to life. Find your family, hide, like just the panic. Like people would run out and just try to get every supply that they possibly could. Right, running over people on their way right. to Walmart. Right, um, half of them. The other half would be like, "Haha, I can now loot stores and get TVs for when this blows over to sell to people." <laughs> and that's that's a part of the society. I mean, I really have a problem with society in general. Just when it comes to like what you're saying, man, you wins. Shit gets destroyed. Yep. Man, you loses, everything gets destroyed. Super Bowl wins, whatever. People go yep. right in the streets. Why are you doing that, Laker fans? Exactly. You know, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and so, yeah, I can see that. But I just wonder, you know, where was where did it start? Was it an all-over-the-earth thing where the dead mm-hmm. come back to life? You know, it's gonna. It's not just going to start where you and I are sitting here, Rodrigo, and suddenly a zombie walks in the door and wants to gnaw on our brains. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen at the morgues. It's going to happen at the funeral home. It's going to happen in the cemetery. Well, well there's assuming, going to be, assuming that it starts with corpses coming back from well, the dead. And that's what we're led to believe here. You, mm. As soon as you die, then you come back to life. So, yes, there's going to be a random amount of people that have had heart attacks or commit suicide that are then going to come back to life. Right. Uh, and then bite somebody else, and presumably that person infects somebody else. So there's a little bit of a slow burn going on here. And that's kind of hinted and indicated in this first arc, but... I don't know. I like the book. I can t- I've read it 75 issues. You know, I keep reading it. There's something about what Kirkman is doing that keeps drawing me back time and time again because I'm hoping for something. And in those issues where I don't get what's delivered, it's that hint of something else to come mm-hmm. that pulls me back. And so I have been continually reading it. I found I found the writing very reminiscent of Why the Last Man. Yes, that's a yeah. Um and and really it's kind of the same thing there where like you'll get to the end of an issue and it's like I didn't learn anything right. here right. of what I wanted. Right. But I still want to know. Right. Um and it's kind of the nature of the books that they can't just have a an NPC come in and say, "By the way, what happened to all men is aliens." There are many times that they attempt to do that in the book and then don't. Right. And I I I don't know. It's not a cop out, but it is a it's a good gimmick to keep me coming back. Oh, from yeah, that. definitely. Matthew, final final recommendations and thoughts since we're way, way, way over time this week. This is not the strongest arc of The Walking Dead, but I highly recommend The Walking Dead as a whole. And I okay. I, 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 I cannot 
this is kind of like the first episode where Gilligan doesn't quite act right and the boat doesn't quite look right and nobody calls the professor by name, but it's okay because it all comes together in season one. Mm-hmm. This is the, this is where the, the groundwork is laying. Once that groundwork is laying, the good stuff comes around. About halfway through this issue, the good stuff starts. And if you're patient and if you're willing to, you know, sit and deal with some of the soap opera elements, which to me really make the book, mm-hmm. absolutely it's a must read. What is your favorite arc? So the first arc is the zombie apocalypse. The second arc is the prison. The third arc mm-hmm. is the governor. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth arc is the um, wandering in the woods and meeting the cannibals, the big hunt storyline. The governor is my favorite. You like that one? Okay. I like, I, well, I don't like it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but the interactions between Michonne and the governor and the comeuppance mm-hmm. that comes at the end of the governor arc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that the governor, it, you know, he initially seems to be Dr. Doom and mm-hmm. it turns out he's just some putz who's as messed up as everybody else. Yeah. Um, and then we get to the current one where it's the community story arc where they actually find this place up in Washington, DC. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I'd probably say the, the arc that I've hated the most is the, the prison arc, the one that comes in volume two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the governor one again, seemed very reminiscent of the Romero. Um, what was that other Dawn of the dead, uh, movie where it's the day of the dead. Is Land it, of the Dead. Is that what it is? Where it's uh, Day of got the Dead. Dennis Hopper in it. Oh, I don't know. As this governor living in the tower, and that's kind of what that arc reminds me of. Mm-hmm. The current community one is going to be interesting to see how it ends. I don't know. It's it's all very average to me. Rodrigo, what do you think? Um, as far as zombie stories go, it's pretty good. I mean, I'm. I was interested the whole way through. I was never like, "Oh my god, she had it." Even even at times they get a little wordy, um, but that wasn't a big deal. I think that it's good exploration of zombie genres, and it's helped me to realize that I kind of like the zombie genre, mm-hmm. but I'm not a huge fan of it mm-hmm. to the point where I'm like, "Well, I'd like to know what happens next, but I'd rather get cracking on the second volume of Fables." There you go. You know that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, I understand. That. Um. So it's good. It's good times. I would recommend it to people. I mean, this this is actually reading, getting through all of this is a good way of figuring out if you actually like the zombie genre because yeah. I think that it kind of, in a way, copies some things, in a way is very reminiscent of certain things, but it's pretty straight in the middle of the zombie mm-hmm. genre. It has everything. It has the zombies coming after you, people being killed by zombies, people being killed by people because of the zombies, infighting. You know, the moving around, the whole, the bunking up in one place, it has, you know, it's, it's like every little thing that happens in a zombie movie, I'm guessing will happen throughout this whole arc. And you get to experience it with the same characters as opposed to being reintroduced to the Mm -hmm. black guy who's going to die first Mm -hmm. every time. Mm -hmm. It's a good read. For me, it's a good read. I would recommend it for people that like the zombie genre. I do like the zombie genre. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. And obviously, if I'm always having nightmares and thinking about it, I'm, I've got some passing interest in it. Uh, it's not a great series in my mind, unfortunately. It's a mm-hmm. good series. It's a, it's a good read. Uh, I think there are large... I mean, you could probably skip 50 issues and you'd probably still be able to pick right up and understand what's going on. We'll see what AMC does with it. I'm very interested to see what they're going to do with the it. The makeup looks awesome. Like, the, the yeah, zombies look really... 
like it looks like they put way more work into the zombies than they really needed to. Yeah, it, I mean, people understand a zombie when they see one, and these zombies are really produced. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be awesome myself. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. All right, everybody, that wraps it up for this issue. We went really, really long this week. And I think rightfully so. I mean, this is the first in a huge, massive story arc, Mm -hmm. and I think it's worth uh, talking about. Uh, Next week, I hope you picked up your copy of Scott Pilgrim issue number six or volume six, uh, Scott Pilgrim's Finest Hour, because we are going to be talking about that on next week's show. And this weekend, we're going to be talking about costumes, costumes in comic books, costumes, how they translate to other media. We may have touched on this before, but I think there's been some changes in the last couple of weeks that make this uh, an issue worth talking about again. And we're going to be talking about Scott Pilgrim because we know that you love comics and we do, too. And we will talk with you real soon. KO! If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010